You know, it is uh, estimated that the average person, and I tried to look this up, but I found a lot of varying uh, different answers, but the average person I saw uh, speaks per day somewhere between 7,000 and 34,000. Now, you might be looking next to the person and thinking, yeah, you're the 34,000. But that's, you know, if, uh, if you were to multiply that out over a year, we're talking about 12 million words a year. We speak with our mouth. If that could fill this Bible 15 times, right? 15 times or 15 Bibles I could fill an entire year with the amount of words I speak. You know, obviously speaking comprises a very large portion of our lives. You know, schools offer uh, classes on the ability of how to speak better. Uh, but a lot of good can be done with our voices, with our tongues. But of course, you know, a lot of bad can come from it as well. There's a story of a little girl who was watching her mother wash dishes and she noticed that there were a few white hairs uh, on the, the mom's brunette head. And so the little girl asked, Mom, why do you have some of those white hairs? And, and the mom thought a bit for a while and said, Well, you know, daughter, every time. Uh, you say something unpleasant to me, it makes me cry, and it turns one of my hairs white. The little girl thought about that perplexed and said, well, Mom, why is Grandma's hair all white? <laughs> you know, the Bible has a lot to say about our speech. We can go into the Old Testament, and we're going to see psalm after psalm speaking about this, or, or even the Proverbs. In Psalm 52, uh, David is writing this uh, right after uh, he has had the encounter with Doag the Edomite. If you remember this in 1 Samuel chapter 21 and 22, uh, uh, David comes to the city of Nob where the, the priest uh, Ahimelech was. And he uh, goes there for food. He goes there for weaponry. Remember, he gets the consecrated bread that was meant for the priests. And he gets the sword of Goliath. And he goes on his way. Well, Ahimelech doesn't understand that there's a dissension between Saul and David right now. You know, Saul and David are at odds. And so when Saul finds out from Doag the Edomite uh, that uh, David had gone here to Nob and, to, and spoke to Ahimelech, uh, he uses that opportunity to uh, implant some false impressions. Again, using his mouth, his tongue to do that. And notice what David writes about Doag here in Psalm 52. He says, Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The loving kindness of God endures all day long. Your tongue, devise, excuse me, your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor, O worker of deceit. You love evil more than good, falsehood more than speaking what is right. Selah. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. You notice how David describes the tongue there of Doag the Edomite? It's like a sharp razor. The words that he spoke, it loves to devour. And again, the Proverbs are filled with these golden nuggets of truth about how we use our words. There, there are those that, that offer the pleasant side of it. Proverbs 25, verse 11 and 12. Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. But then again, in the Proverbs, there are many uh, warnings and admonitions about those uh, who use their, their tongues for evil. Proverbs 26, verse 28, a lying tongue hates those it crushes and a flattering mouth works ruin. Again, the Proverbs and the Psalms speak much about this issue. And even in the New Testament, Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, remember what he said? I tell you that every careless word that people speaks, they shall give an accounting for it 
in the day of judgment. You know, the, every careless word, every worthless or slanderous word, we will, uh, on that day of judgment, give an account for those things that we speak with our tongue. And, of course, James. The book of James is probably the greatest example in the New Testament. And that's what we're going to study this morning in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, of what uh, the Bible has to say about our tongues. Uh, nearly 20% of the book of James is dealing with our speech. You know, that's an issue that he is trying to get us to understand. The most extensive discussion about the way we talk in the New Testament is found there. And he goes right to the heart of the problem, and that's the tongue. And friends, this is not just a first century problem uh, when James is writing, but this is alive and well today in the 21st century. We at all we all, at one time or another, struggle with our tongue. So what we want to focus in on these verses, again, in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, what James has to say about bridling or controlling the, the tongue. And so let, let's notice first the importance of the tongue. Let, let's read together James chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. You know, I don't know if you've thought about this this morning, but you and I, all of us this morning, have brought our own weapon of mass destruction with us to the building. You know, and for some of us, you know, it takes a, a little bit of a, a while to engage. You know, we have to uh, punch in the code and maybe put our handprint on there or get an eye scan or something. But, you know, it takes a little while to, uh, to deploy that weapon of mass destruction. But for others, you know, it's as if they're carrying around that red uh, panic button, you know, that, that they can just push at any time. Uh, it can come at a moment's notice, right? This weapon of mass destruction, it's dangerous, it's destructive, and it's concealed. And again, I'm speaking of the tongue. You know, uh, you probably grew up learning that, uh, that rhyme, you know, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Uh, is that true? No, words do hurt. Words do hurt. And so that's why uh, James is reminding us here uh, of those things. And uh, if we were to look in the book of James, as I mentioned earlier, you know, he's already told us in chapter 1, verse 19, that we need to be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. In verse 26, uh, look what he says in verse 26 of chapter 1. He says, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but s deceives his own heart, that man's religion is worthless. You know, James says, if you can't hold back your tongue, your religion is no good. It's worthless. And then in chapter 2, verse 12, he, he said this. Uh, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. Right? James is saying behave like a Christian. Not just in your, in your deeds, but in your words as well. But then we get to James chapter 3, verse 1 that we just read. And this verse might seem a little out of place at first for us. You know, this is a striking statement that James says. Again, not let many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Well, don't we need more teachers in the Lord's church? Yes, of course. James here is not discouraging teachers. You know, the Hebrews writer said in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, that you ought to be teachers by now. So James is definitely not discouraging us from teaching, but as the old, you know, Spider-Man, Peter Parker phrase goes, with great power comes great responsibility, right? That's what James is trying to get to us in this first verse in James chapter three is that if we are in any sort of position of influence, 
our words matter. You know, we need to watch ourselves, especially teachers. You know, because we can take that and run with that into a prideful direction. You know, the rabbis in Jesus's day, they were the teachers of the law and they were well-respected individuals. And there were many good rabbis who did outstanding jobs teaching the people. But often, you know, as, as we know, when, when you put someone on a high pedestal like that, uh, their egos could swell and they could, you know, turn into ruin. You know, in that culture, Jewish men were taught to treat their rabbis better than their parents. In that culture, if an enemy came in and seized your parents and your rabbi, who were you to ransom first? Who were you to rescue first? It was your rabbi, not your parents. Again, we put a great emphasis on the teacher in that culture. And again, the same dangers we see today in the world, especially when it comes to the pulpits. Right? Preachers have to deal with this. Again, James is reminding us, watch what you teach. Watch what comes off your lips, because he says that you will incur a stricter judgment. You know, the, a lot of times, you know, I'll ask uh, when we go to a passage, I'll say, turn with me to James chapter three. And I love to hear the, the, the rustling of your Bibles, the pages flipping to, to James chapter three, because that tells me, you know, you're paying attention. And you're looking within the scriptures to see if what I'm saying matches what the scriptures are saying. What, what I'm saying is matching up with God's word. Right? Because, uh, you know, I need, you know, and preachers need uh, criticism. We need feedback. Now, gentle criticism, uh, gentle feedback, but, but it helps, right, keep them grounded. And so uh, this first point we just want to make here is that James is quickly reminding us as we jump into this discussion about the tongue, that those in those uh, positions of influence, whether it's a preacher or a teacher or a parent, need to watch what they say. Our 30th president of the United States, Calvin Coolidge, was famously nicknamed Silent Cal. Uh, uh, there, was, there was a story uh, about a young woman who uh, was going to a dinner party uh, where the president was attending, and she had a bet with her friends that she could get Calvin Coolidge to say more than three words. And so she went and she designed it so that she could sit right next to him, and she said to him, uh, Mr. President, I have this bet going with my friends that I can get you to say three words. And uh, Calvin looked at her and this is how he responded. You lose. Right? He gave her two words. Uh, he, this was a man who understood the importance of weighing his words. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 19 tells us when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. Let's notice what James says about the control of the tongue. Look at James chapter 3, starting in verse 2 through 4. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. You know, again, James is telling us because of the difficulty involved, we stumble in many ways, he says. Every Christian must constantly, constantly be working at controlling the tongue because as James says, it controls the body. You know, contemplate what the tongue has done in, in history or what it's doing right now. 
Right? We can think of uh, that you know, it begins wars. It has began wars. We think of the conflict that's going on in the world right now, uh, Russia and Ukraine. Right? It just seems at any moment someone could say something uh, w- with their mouth, with their tongue, and could start another war. Uh, you know, homes have been destroyed by words, by the tongue. Uh, out of all the body parts, this tongue that weighs less than a pound has done more damage. It's not the legs, it's not the, the, our hands, but it's the tongue, the tongue that has the most damage. And he gives us a couple of illustrations. He says there in verse 3, he speaks of a bit in a horse's mouth. You know, I've never really ridden a horse other than, you know, the old penny machines at the grocery store. Uh, but I've been watching a lot of Westerns uh, lately. My wife says that's a sign of old age. Uh, but as you watch those, you, you, you know that when a, a cowboy gets on a horse that, you know, isn't saddled, uh, that doesn't have the, the, the bridle and the bits in its mouth, that he's not going to get very far, is he? Uh, compared to those uh, other ones. But that small piece of metal, that small piece of metal enables the rider to control that powerful horse. And we understand how important that bit is to controlling that horse. Or in verse 4, talking about the rudder of the ship. That small rudder on that great big giant ship allows the helmsman to control it. Uh, Without it, the ship may travel in, in one direction or the other. What's a James point with these two illustrations? Well, for the bit to control the, the horse or the rudder to control the ship, you know, there's this constant tension that's required. And the same thing is true about our tongues. We have to have that constant control of the tongue or it'll allow our bodies to run wild. You know, think of going to the doctor. You know, you go to the doctor because you might think you have the flu or strep or, or whatever. What's the first thing he's going to want to look at or she? You know, it's probably the tongue, right? Open wide. They're going to look at the tongue to look at uh, your, your physical health. Well, the same thing is true with one's spiritual health. You know, how well can I pull back on the reins of my tongue? How well is my tongue staying on course? But not only are the, are the bits or the rudders uh, and the tongue so small, but again, they have to uh, overcome these contrary forces uh, that they deal with. Uh, the bit must control the wild nature of the horse. The rudder's got to control the winds and the currents of, of the sea to help uh, deter it from going in any direction. And the tongue must overcome contrary forces as well. You know, like, a, you know, think of, a, think of an engine in a vehicle. You know, in between the engine and the gas tank is what? Uh, there's, a, there's a filter there, right? Uh, that filter there is preventing uh, some dirt and, and debris and sediments from getting into the engine. And wouldn't it be great for us to have that spiritual filter between our hearts and our tongues that's going to catch that debris, that's going to catch that dirt before we speak those things? Because sometimes we get in situations where our old self, our, our old nature uh, wants to, uh, you know, come back out. That, that part of us that, was, that died, that we put away, uh, that Paul says, in baptism. And we have to fight it every step of the way. Right? We, we get around our, our buddies and maybe we begin to, to uh, speak like them. Uh, maybe it's the office talk or, or the locker room talk and, and that speech comes out again. But as for the Christian, you know, Paul says in Colossians 3 verse 8 that we need to put all that aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Put those things aside. 
You know, again, just think, how can something so small have so much control over our lives? And what we need to do is instead we need to put Jesus in control of our tongues. Again, just as the jockey puts the bit uh, in the horse's mouth, uh, just as the helmsman controls the ship with the rudder, we need to make sure that Jesus is in control uh, of our, our words. We must allow the Lord of our life to be the Lord of our lips. Right? And that's where the fruit of the Spirit come into play. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, Paul says that we, know, we need to practice these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Right? Those are the things that the Christian needs to focus on and live in their lives. And because of that, uh, that, that filter is going to be in place. Right? And so it's going to catch those things that we ought not to speak. We need to echo the prayer as well as the psalmist in Psalm 141, verse 3, that Nathaniel read for us this morning. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. You know, sometimes we need to pray uh, to uh, help us overcome these situations. Again, James focused on the control of the tongue. But then let's look at the last point, the dangers of the tongue uh, that James describes here in verses 5 through 12. You know, he's really going to give us a plea here uh, to control the tongue. And he's going to give us really these three alarming facts about an uncontrolled tongue. Look at first verses five through six. He says, so also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life, and is set on fire by hell. First, we notice the tongue can defile the body. The, the damage the tongue can do, James compares it to a forest fire. You know, forest fires aren't these gigantic explosions that happen out in the middle of nowhere, and all of a sudden, you know, all the trees and, and the landscape is just gone and burnt to a crisp. But no, no, it starts... By a little flame. It could be a campfire, right? Or an ash that flies off in the campfire, a cigarette butt, something so small that will set a great fire ablame. And that's how the tongue works, James tells us. It burns uncontrollably, it destroys lives that's far from its beginning. You know, we've seen forest fires starting in, you know, Northern California, and it goes up through Oregon and even into Washington, right? A small flame does so much damage far from its beginning. And no wonder James says that it is set on fire by hell. Again, notice what James says there. Our tongues, our tongues can lead us to hell. You know, the devil delights when we destroy each other in this way. You know, gossip from one set of lips can move on to another set of lips and another and another. And before long, the whole congregation, James says, is ignited in this flame. The second thing he he tells us in these verses is that the uncontrolled tongue is untamable. Look at verses 7 and 8. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. You know, think of the largest land uh, mammals that you can think of. Of course, there's the elephant. And then uh, I think the second largest is the white rhinoceros. 
You know, this thing can grow as six feet tall, average anywhere from four to seven thousand pounds. Uh, its horn can grow to three to five foot in length. Uh, it has poor eyesight. It can be easily spooked, and it can get going up to 40 to 50 miles per hour. And what if I were to ask one of you to you know, fly over to you know, Africa and try to tame one of these beasts? Would you want to do that? But yet, we can tame the wild rhinoceros. We can tame the elephant, right? We have them in our zoos. Yet James says we are not capable of controlling, of taming our own tongues. Remember... Uh, you know, if you're a sports fan watching maybe ESPN back in the day, Dan Patrick, the sports announcer, would say uh, about the highlights of Michael Jordan or somebody, you know, you can't stop him, but you can only hope to contain him. Right? That's sort of like our tongues, right? We, we can't tame our tongues, but we've got to do whatever we can to control it to the best of our abilities. In Mark chapter 7, verses 20 through 23, you know, Jesus is speaking, and he's, he's talking about how, you know, it's not the things outside of a man that defile the man, but it's the things that come from his heart, that come out of the man. Those are where those wickednesses begin, the, the, the adultery, the, 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 the wickedness that, that he speaks of in those verses. It's out of the heart of men is where it comes. And so the objective that we want to do is to fill our hearts with positive things, with holy things. And that's exactly what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. He says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things, right? Put those things in your heart, the good things, truthful things, uh, the Bible, right? Scripture, uh, those things, fill your heart with that, fill your heart with good works uh, so that um, so that when, it, when the tongue uh, can be controlled, uh, that, that we can at least uh, attempt to tame it. And then he says in verses 9 through 12 that the uncontrolled tongue is inconsistent with the Christian faith. Notice again what he says in chapter 3, starting in verse 9. He says, with it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. You know, these rhetorical questions he's asking, uh, the answer is stated within each one of them. Can a fountain send both fresh and bitter water? Absolutely not. No. If the answer was yes, that would be contrary to everything we know uh, about how things work in this world. Can a fig tree produce olives, a vine produce figs? Again, absolutely not. And the point James is making is that uh, the Christian, uh, to see uh, that there is nothing uh, more inconsistent than for us to use our tongues, our mouths, to sing praises to God on Sunday and then go out into the world and curse his neighbor uh, the rest of the week. Notice with me Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. I put this one up on the board because I want to uh, let us focus on this verse. Uh, but Paul here writes to the Ephesian church, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. He said, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of, out of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. 
unwholesome word. Or maybe your translation says corrupt word. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. And the idea here is these words are unwholesome. They're rotten. They're decayed. You know, don't use these type of words. Halitosis. You know, that's a word, uh, 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 you know, a fancy word for bad breath, right? And we go into stores, department stores, and we see shelves filled with, you know, flavored mouthwashes and gums and mints and things that are designed to fight bad breath. But, you know, these things are temporary actions, right? They don't get to the root of the problem. We, too, must guard against rotten words, you know, some of us, we deal with spiritual halitosis from time to time. We, we, we speak unwholesome, rotten, corrupt words, decaying words. But Paul says, instead, use words that are good for edification. Use words that build each other up. You know, because a Christian who uses foul language, who uses the Lord's name in vain, who, who gossips, slanders, whatever it may be, is inconsistent with the name they bear as Christian. And again, what damage can be done to the church? You know, because even those who, who are on the outside of the church can see the inconsistency of having an uncontrolled tongue. Again, what a blessing we have from God this morning, uh, this ability to speak. But also, what a responsibility James lets us know here as well. Uh, Peter I want to leave you with, with the words Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 10. He said this, For the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Again, Peter says there in verse 10, for the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil. He must keep his tongue from these unwholesome words. And again, that's a challenge for each and every one of us uh, this morning to tame or to attempt to tame and control the tongue. Well, we're, we're going to end this, uh, this, this lesson going back to uh, a psalm and a proverb. In Psalm 39, verse 1, David wrote this. I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle while the wicked are in my presence. Again, the tongue, so small, yet so powerful that David says, I'm going to guard it. I'm going to muzzle it. I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that, that the words that are coming out of my mouth are only for good, are only for the praise of God. And you know, how do we let our faith make a difference in our lives? And that, again, is by making Jesus the Lord of our lives. But a more challenging point in doing this can be found in allowing him, again, to control what we say. Colossians chapter 3, uh, verse 2, set your mind on the things above and not on the things of this earth. And so we need to let our tongues be used for righteousness, right? for sharing the gospel, for confessing Jesus as our Lord and Savior, for restoring the erring, for comforting the bereaved uh, around us. We can use our tongues in a positive way. Uh, Solomon in Proverbs, verse, excuse me, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 Again, he says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Again, with our tongues, we may bring death, you know, mass destruction.
but we can also bring life with our tongues. And is there any greater potential than this? And so as Christians, let us guard our tongues. Let us do what we can to build each other up rather than tear one another down. And let's, as James lets us know here in James chapter 3, you know, that we need to bridle the tongue and understand the importance of what the tongue can do. This morning, we, we offer the invitation. Uh, if anyone here uh, maybe has not put Christ on in baptism, uh, we would love the opportunity to help you uh, with that, to, uh, to uh, show you what the Bible has to say about that, to become a Christian. Uh, we, we know the Bible says we must hear the word of God, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, repent of our sins, confess him as Lord, and then be immersed in water for the forgiveness of our sins. And at that point, the Lord will add you to his church. Or this evening, if you're a member here uh, or a Christian uh, that needs uh, uh, prayers of the congregation, uh, need, has a need to be made known, again, we would love the opportunity to pray for you, to help you uh, in whatever spiritual need you may have. We ask that you would come forward now as we stand and sing.